Um, this slide shows some of the requirements for new construction. In terms of setbacks, uh, new primary buildings should be located a distance from the street so that the setback is consistent with other buildings in the neighborhood. Also, uh, constructing attached garages is not recommended. However, if they are constructed, they should be set back at least 20 feet from the street-facing plane of the building. In terms of outbuildings, um, like garages, they should be at the rear of the property and a rear of the primary building and also subordinate in size from the primary structure. And again, um, attached garages are typically not um, recommended. This slide shows some architectural guidelines for new primary structures. The options that are before you tonight don't include any information on architectural style. So this is mainly just more for your information, but the guidelines do outline several architectural styles that would be allowed or recommended in the Brown Street Historic District. And in terms of building height and mass, new structures must be um, between one and a half to two stories in height. And so th these are the two options. Um, unless you have any questions for Jessica and I, I, I can, we can turn it over to Simon yeah, and, and I just have add one. I, I, I noticed it in the memo, too, <coughs> and up there. The guidelines are for the North Side neighborhood, but this is in the Brown Street District. Are there different? I, I just, I, yeah. I, when I read it on the memo, I kind of just was like, oh, it was, I, I, I often con confuse the two as well, but I just want to make sure there's, we're, when it comes to that, I know we're not discussing this tonight, but mm -hmm. when it comes to that, I should make sure we're, using the right one if they are, in fact, different? For the architectural guidelines, um, it's 8.4 Northside Neighborhood, which does include the Brown okay, Street District. Okay, it's all of them. Is the yeah. They have the same one. Okay, yep. great. Thank you. So, GT and Simon, I don't know if you want me to go to the options or how. Yeah, if you want to leave that one. Hi, thank you all for your time tonight. Uh, I'm Simon Andrew. I'm the director of the Housing Fellowship, uh, the eventual uh, owner of these structures. Uh, we did have a good neighbor meeting uh, this past Sunday um, where uh, we got some good feedback. A lot of the questions for us had to do with the operation of the Housing Fellowship and less about the, the structures themselves, but it was a very good conversation. Uh, we were very uh, grateful for those who uh, turned out on a Sunday afternoon to uh, discuss this with us. Um, you know, one of the main things to point out is how much of this lot is unbuildable. Um, you know, we are really uh, hamstrung by uh, those uh, sewer easements. So that was one of the main constraining factors in, in coming up with these options. Um, the neighbors that did speak to us last Sunday um, seemed to be fairly evenly divided in terms of whether they would prefer a subdividing of the lot um, versus the accessory dwelling unit. Um, we did hear some concerns about the condition of the alley if there was going to be an accessory dwelling unit back there. Um, was one of the main concerns expressed with that. Um, accessory dwelling unit for a rental property would take a city code change uh, to allow that. Right now in city code, ADUs have to be, the main structure has to be owner-occupied. Um, so that would uh, require a code change there. Um, so one of the main things that we're asking for your input on tonight um, is you know, which of those options that you would prefer um, and uh, kind of understanding that uh, that ADU issue may um, may have some unintended consequences as well. So we'd have to really think through how um, that would be proposed to be worded. But um, yeah, those were my main comments right now. We really appreciate y'all's input and um, the, both the city and obviously the Home Builders Association and the school district and working with us. I think I mentioned it the last time I was here before you all that um, 
you know, we're really excited just that the student bill program is coming back. I mean, that's a, a huge thing for us, uh, especially the last few years, just finding contractors to uh, complete necessary maintenance and rehabilitations that we have on our properties. There's really a, a dearth of uh, those skill sets here in town, and um, we really appreciate to uh, be a part of uh, developing that next generation of, um, of skilled tradespeople. So, um, do you have any questions for me right now? Or I didn't know if uh, GT wanted to make any comments, but he'd be more of uh, your questions on site and construction and, and timelines and working with the school district and in terms of um, how the property would be managed, uh, that would be more questions for me. So thanks again for your time. Uh, GT Car representing the home builders um, and uh, Supel Siding Remodeling for our general contractor. Um, I'm sorry I was late. I missed uh, Ann's comments, but I would echo um, we had some good input from the neighbors. It was a little surprising that we didn't really get a strong opinion on one house versus two. I would have anticipated that going in, um, but I thought it was good. And then um, if Ann covered this already, I apologize. The plan is uh, you certainly answer questions today, seek some um, input from you, but um, we're obviously following the guidelines in the handbook. Um, and thank you for clarifying that, Kevin. Kind of what I was looking at that too, which guidelines, which neighborhood are we kind of aiming for? And I think um, we do have an aggressive timeline um, in that we're hoping to kind of decide which path we're going option wise um, and then get some actual drawings up so we can get feedback from city staff um, not just from the guidelines but kind of what what they think um, we're obviously regulated with height and materials used and square footage and then also the other piece of this equation as you can imagine um, even though we have a great instructor leading this we have students doing the work so how we can roll this out um, and, and my goal and I've been pretty consistent saying this is that when this project is done, it fits in the neighborhood, and you cannot tell that this is the first house that's been built by students, that it, it just looks better than new construction, I will say that. Um, read into it what you will, but but we want to be, be good neighbors with that. So any questions for me? I, I just had, I mean, I, I don't know if other folks do. I don't want to go first, but I just, I was, I was curious about the, I understand the, the site plan's a little limiting here. I, I'm just interested in the, um, attached garage model, just give, given that it's not recommended, um, I, you know, and the and, and I know the, the illustrations are not maybe not in, entirely illustrative, but that is a very looks like a very large garage. If the entire you know, uh, uh, like if the driveway goes into the garage, kind of thing. Option two. Option two right. is the. Yeah. As I'm just I'm just trying to understand the. Sure. Some of those choices that, that were made around yeah. that, given that one of the guidelines is... Yeah. Let, me, let me try to shed some light on that. Obviously, uh, it was intentionally left vague in the boxes of white because we wanted the general concept. You know, it's yep. a starting point. And obviously, representing our client, the Housing Fellowship, we were trying to avoid 16 versions of full plans for understandable reasons. You know, let's not go down every possible path um, but as what you're looking at there in option two um, I believe there's at least one or two bedrooms in that concept on that ground level it's not all you know you kind of have 
if you think about it, uh, if you guys have visited that site, you go down a little bit um, where the curb cut is. Um, so the, the ground level or basement, so to speak, is kind of more out of ground as you go down the lot uh, away from the front. But not all that square footage would be, uh, would be garage. There's a laundry room down there and I believe at least one bedroom because we're trying to do a pretty efficient footprint aside from the, the requirements of the district. Um, so that's an intent, intention of that. And actually that idea came from our architect who saw an attached garage in that district a couple blocks away that was approved a couple years ago. So that's how we came up with that idea. Um, and it will meet, it'll be 20 foot back from the front and those types of things. I know that's, I think 6.0, that's page like 44 or 46 in my handbook. Um, but we are aware of that. But just to be clear, that foundation footprint, if you will, is not all garage. No, this one, yeah. This is the house. The house, yeah. And so just and to be clear. In the house. Yeah, I think I've got the same question. Um, the main uh, structure, that is closest to the street. And the accessory dwelling is closer to the alley. Correct. Okay, and they'll each have garage parking. They will not each have garage parking. Um, option two, okay. I wish I had a pointer. The, the one closest to the alley has parking that's outside. Correct, right okay. there. Yep. Um, and then I think what you're talking about here, so this would be Ronald Street on the south side. As you go across and kind of go down an elevation, there'll be a garage proposed in the center of this. Again, we went far enough along in the plans with the architect that we knew that this square footage would facilitate the five bedrooms, but we very intentionally did not confuse the issue with, hey, right now there's a bedroom here that, you know. So, so when you go down this driveway, you're in the, the, the basement of this building. It's not if you think of a house that's eight foot below grade, below the ground, that's not what this is because grade will go down. So roughly halfway out, two thirds out. And then as you come up here, this approach with the sidewalk, this is close to, we're gonna go for close to zero entry. So we have some accessibility on the main level. And uh, I'm fairly confident this design will support an additional one of the bedrooms outlined here in the, um, in this scenario with the four bedrooms is one is on the main level and then because we're restricted in height when we get to the second story it's not a full second story with a roof part of imagine if you're in an upstairs bedroom you're going to have some slant on that roof um, so we're going with an efficient footprint for that but you'll be able to see all that i think the elevations in my mind we can all wave our hands and imagine this and i'm pretty sure we have 13 different versions floating around this room right now that's pretty common we will have elevations, we'll have floor plans, so you can see that basic idea. And then more importantly, as we work with staff, you'll see how we meet the guidelines with our materials on the exterior to fit the neighborhood and fit the guidelines. So, did that help at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. okay. a lot. Yes. And then just to quickly comment, an option two on the back here, Simon, your understanding with Martha on this is that's essentially, if we, if we could get that approved, that is a very efficient living space for a single person in the ADU, right? Mm -hmm. Extremely efficient. <laughs> so, other questions? 
I, I just wanted to be clear that the attached garage is on the main structure. And there's an option two. Yeah, an option two. Yes, it's below. Yep, it is. It is part of the main structure. Yep. And there's a whole secondary unit that's got living and single car parking. Correct. So when you look at the text, just under option two, single lot main, in the bold caps main, those one, two, three, six bullets would all be on the lower structure, lower structure, the the house on Ronalds, if you will. And then as you go up your drawing, thank the accessory dwelling, thank you, Ian, you have your, your one bath, 390 square foot, and then the one car parking is that little pad off of the alley. Great. Other questions? Question, oh, yeah. oh, were, were there options with option two, right, that included a detached garage instead of attached garage? So what we want... What we ran into when you had the detached garage um, is a couple things. It was, it was a priority of the architect to be efficient with the materials um, from an environmental standpoint, and we're building a fairly large structure that's all it's there to do other than use resources as house bikes and lawnmowers and those types of things. Um, and that's kind of uh, very much against what we were trying to accomplish on this. And as you look at if, if, when we started exploring that, we take up so much space, and as you get into requirements with that detached garage on option two, that then maybe, say, above, we do the accessory dwelling unit. That makes sense. The way that the, the requirements are written now, it would be such a large footprint that that footprint would be big enough that then we would encroach on the easement of the sewer, and we can't have living space over the sewer, and it just snowballed, and we just had, didn't have a great, a great solution for that. To say that the lot is challenging is a very, very big understatement. <laughs> the, the garage could be closer to the alley than that. It only needs to be set five feet off the alley. Right, but then we wouldn't be able to add the dwelling above it. That's where we run into trouble. Oh, I didn't know that that was... There's a requirement. Can you help me out a little bit with the ADU requirements? There's... I think four or five bullet points that I'm not remembering, but once you add some square footage, there's a certain number of storage below, and it just makes the whole footprint bigger. You can't have... Go ahead. Well, it, on the next block, there was a new garage built with an accessory dwelling unit above that's just five feet off the property line, the alley property line. The issue would be that we'd you, be able to... You, sorry, we just need you. Mm -hmm. I, thank you. I think the issue would be that if we did the five-foot setback, we would still need a large enough footprint for the detached garage. Right, like and, this whole space. Well, to get an accessory dwelling unit up above, and then that triggers the, you can't have living space over the easement. If they ever had to do work on the sewer, you could do it over a garage if you want to take down the garage, but you couldn't take down the apartment. Am I close, hand? Does that make sense? I, I think still think that a, a full two-car garage with accessory dwelling unit above it would fit in this space right here. I didn't. I explored it with our architect, and that the, was not Martha's. It's yeah. just because the 20-foot setback is not required for a garage. I will. I know enough to be dangerous, but I'm certainly <laughs> not pretending to be an architect. So. I would, we explore that, and I will send you some, I'll, I'll make sure that I'm speaking correctly, and I'll send you an email on that. Just because, I mean, just in the last few years, we have approved one in the 
neighboring block that yep. does that. I, we'd love that option. I think the issue again is the actual easement and living space, if I'm remembering correctly, but I will clarify. Any other questions? Okay, thank you for your time. All right, it's time for us to talk about it. We don't need a motion for this, right? To talk, or do we? No, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's okay just to Should, share your feedback. If we have, if we are, if we want to pass something afterwards, we could unanimously. We could vote to say something. Yeah, but I guess since there's no application or anything, yep. you really wouldn't be approving anything. So I think, um, I think I don't think you need to vote on it. Okay. And Carl joined us while Anne was speaking the first time, though I'm not sure that we were recording. And could GT and Simon please make sure they sign in at some point in time? So we can just discuss what we like? What, what we, we think, see. yeah. <clears throat> okay, I'll start. <laughs> um, first, two great options, honestly. And I'll give my opinion of what I'm kind of thinking, but not opposed to either. Um, personally, I'm, as a special ed teacher, I like option two because of the garage and it's the ADA compliance. You're gonna have an ADA bathroom and an ADA bedroom and having a garage that is close to the, in the, you know, like underneath kind of the house, really nice for people with disabilities, physical disabilities um, that we don't often see in older neighborhoods. And I think sometimes that keeps people with disabilities, physical disabilities outside of older neighborhoods because of stairs, garages so far away. So I really like that idea that the garage is there. And I do believe that the architectural style of a house can, can be done in a historic district that would preserve the character yet provide the convenience for people to have that. And aside from people who are older, there are, I know that a lot of people in our neighborhood, we've talked you know, with some older neighbors who said, I want to stay in my house, but you know, the garage is over here and I got a shovel and, and those kinds of things. So this is, I think that's also an option. Um, when I look at, I love the idea of the accessory dwelling. Like you had said, there's other ones in our neighborhood like that, that have that accessory dwelling. Um, when I look at option one, it's all fine. You know, the five, is it four or five car parking in the back, two single, three, three car, you know, it's just kind of in a row. Little generic, <laughs> you know, little generic compared to option two. Um, so I kind of, I, I like the aesthetics as option two. I think it's more unique. And since this is the first time we're kind of doing a project like this, I, I, I say run with the uniqueness because I think it's going to work. Um, and I think there's going to be a lot of people very interested in that house with that, the convenience of the garage, especially with the ADA compliance of the bedrooms and the bathrooms. Um, what else did I put? Other properties have that. And then, yeah, uh, five bedroom, huge house. Not sure it's necessary. Probably most of us live in anything between a two and four bedroom house. So, um, while I understand people can have larger families, three, four bedrooms is a lot of space. Um, so that's my opinion. I, 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 at this stage, unless, you know, I prefer option two because of the ADA compliance and the convenience of that, and I'd love to see it done. Um, I also like, you know, the alley in the back, like with going in the back, I drive down that alley often, several times a week. Um, I see other, 
alleys that have the accessory buildings in the back and they're very similar. So I'm not too concerned about people being able to get back there. In fact, it's gonna be less traffic if you go with option two, because it'd probably be the person who lives in the accessory building parking back there versus both houses. In option one, both houses are parking in the back. Um, whereas in option two, it's just one property is parking in the back. That's my two cents. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I'm just trying to imagine how big 390 square feet is. I've lived in that, and it's not big. But, of course, I'm assuming this, I mean, you can, you can have floor plans that maximize that and floor plans that make a mess of it. So. And it's a studio. It's a studio dwelling. I've lived in 480, and it was fine for, <laughs> for me and a, a kid for a little while. <laughs> Good. My sense is that I, just looking at that spacing of the houses on option one, I feel like those the crowding will affect the feel of that block. It might be a little anything. unusual, yeah. It will look more crowded. And it also, I think for the residents, you are just right there. And then you have this weird expanse of not terribly usable space between you and your parking space. So option two does seem much more preferable in the sense of the layout and the space around the houses. Can I ask JT, like uh, with these two options, you're obviously feeling, or both of you are feeling good about these two options. You're not secretly sitting out there going, go for option two or go for option one. You're open, you, you know, both of these options you feel are good options. I don't like either of them. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, we, these, these are the two that rose to the top. Okay. Um, and just to a previous comment about crowding and those types of things. I think I mentioned this in my earlier comments. If you would have asked me Sunday going into this meeting, I would have anticipated that we would have had a lot of pushback on dividing that lot. And we left the meeting. I mean, it was, they talked about it, but to say it was a concern would have been a stretch. There are other, that's based on the lot widths of a lot of neighboring properties. But yeah, I, I think it feels better. My preference, if I had a vote in it, would be option two. There's lots of reasons for that, but we do have the challenge, um, and I, I will just do a little bit of politicking here. Um, we have to navigate how the city wants to interpret that ADU with our timeline. So that's something, uh, Kevin's nodding like he understands. That's the yeah. thing I was, I, I mean, yeah. my concern with the ADU isn't <coughs> this particular property owner. It is what it opens the door to, mm -hmm. to, you know, we our, our historic neighborhoods deal with a lot of people who buy these properties and use them as income and do not reinvest in them, do not, are not good stewards of their neighborhood or even their tenants. Right. And so I worry what, what, how the city might expand ADUs in historic neighborhoods or in a lot of our older neighborhoods, even if they're not historic, to, to do this. I, I, again, I have no concern with this particular right property owner, but I do have a lot of concern about what that does to the folks who view our neighborhoods as uh, revenue and nothing else. Um, and th that is my, I think, largest concern. I, I was more concerned about the attached garage before I visualized it being kind of below grade. I don't love the curb cut when we don't really have any on that. You know, we generally try to avoid I think there's those. one now. Oh, is there? Yeah, yeah. that's okay. what we based it on. And so we could save the two. There's a sycamore and I think a maple in the front that would be able to be saved as well. Um, great. Well, that makes me feel even better. I, I feel better with it below grade than I did coming into the meeting. Um, I, I really, but the ADU is the is my place of, of, of grave 
not grave concern, but a, a lot of concern. Completely understandable. And I would interject one thing if you'll indulge this is I, I get the precedent and I don't know. That's way beyond my pay grade. But as, as I was driving around the neighborhood and you're working your way towards downtown, um, I was actually, if you know where uh, Thomas Hagerman lives in that area and you kind of cut through some, some of the alleys. And what's crazy is option one where you end up having the parking lot back there that's kind of the feel we're creating as the alternative. It'd be awesome if we could somehow get the exception just for this one, and I realize it's precedent, but um, I do like the feel of option two. So thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. Do we have – yeah, sorry. Let's – sorry. We're, this is not a normal procedure, but why don't you come up now before we – Yes, yeah. Yep, sorry about that. Sorry, get out of your way here. Uh, hi, uh, thank you for having me this evening. My name is James Carey. I live at 721 Brown Street. So I actually back onto this property. When I bought my place, the old house was there and it disappeared when I moved in. Um, I am going to put my one beef out there. I didn't get invited to the Sunday event. Um, don't know why. And I know the fellow at 7. 27, uh, who also sort of basically abuts it, also didn't get an invitation. So didn't get a chance to voice that, but. Not us, that's it. No, 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 but, but I got, yeah. I'm going to hear, you're going to hear what I have to yeah. say, which is basically what you said you didn't hear a lot can about. You, can you, I'm sorry. Can you sorry, just, sorry, no, no, I got to no, no, address no, If you just no speak problem. in the, the mic, is really no all problem. I got to address you guys. Um, so here, here's the thing. Um, I support both these groups very strongly. I grew up in a blue collar town, and we had BOCES. Probably no one's familiar with that, or maybe are. Massive program. It was great. My, my friends all, all took, a lot of my friends took, uh, 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 when they were in high school, took, took, took their course through BOCES. And it's a great program. Affordable housing, great too. No issues there. Everything's too expensive. And people are blowing way too much of their expendable, especially families, to, to get by. So I wanted to be clear. I have no issues with who owns this property and what they're going to do with it. In fact, Somebody said that you guys are great landlords, uh, very responsive when things happen, so I want that to be very clear. My issue here is, and, and I'm looking at these two options, and they're sort of in absolutes. Why isn't there an option three that's just a house? What was there was just a house, and what should go there is just a house. Um, I mean, I, I, I appreciate what you guys do, but this is still a development, and you have to treat this like a developer coming in, right? I mean, there's no special exceptions. Um, unless they're asked for, of course. So if it was my property, for example, and I came forward with these two options, um, I would expect you to shut me down. Uh, the first option, I think it was mentioned, and I know these drawings aren't to scale and whatnot, but um, you know they don't fit that neighborhood in the mass that I sort of appreciate that word you guys use, mass of the house and how it would look. It would just crowd that out. And plus, you'd end up with all sorts of requests for variances because you, you, they're just they're just two little lots now with with two houses on it, and uh, I don't I don't think you can subdivide a property, then go to I know it wouldn't be you folks, it would be the zoning, and say hey we we've got a we've got a hardship here, but well, you created it, so you can't really do that. So with the option two, I, I think that's great, but I, I don't understand the need for the, um, the the dwelling in the back, and I, I I know it was said, I don't even need to mention it that that can only be done by owner-occupied now, which I'm sure goes to your concerns that you don't want renters, people who just own homes for rentals, to pop another one in the back and have to deal with that. 
Um, I think the, the condition of, of, of that easement has to also be addressed. It's terrible. Uh, I've got a pad back behind my house. I was thinking, oh, I'll, I'll pop a garage in there maybe someday. And then someone said, well, what, what happens when it snows? And they're absolutely right. I would have to have a plow or something to even get in and out of there because that is a very zero, low-maintenance um, alleyway. But again, look, I, I, I know you can, can, can ask for things and try to get this spot zoning basically done where this one thing's going to be a, a, a allowed, but why does there have to be two houses on this property? Um, and I don't think anywhere in the stretch from Lucas to Dodge, uh, other than the guy right on the edge of Dodge uses his garage, but it's sort of like pulling right in. Um, there's no garages that are used as garages. They're old barns. Um, I think everybody has a garage on their street or comes off the street, whether it's uh, Ronald's or um, Brown. But there's, no, there's not a house there that does what option two would create. So, you know, with, with all that said, and listen, I, I'm, I'm the guy you, you wanted to buy that house. My house is, is a duplex that, from what I understand, talking to some people in town, and guy who owned it in the 80s, uh, it's a single-family home that was, uh, you know, upstairs, downstairs in a duplex. I'm grandfathered in. And my intention of buying that house, and everybody who walks by with their dogs and says, oh, did you buy it? Are you going to rent it? And I said, no, 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 this is my house, and I'm going to return it back to a single-family home. Because that's what I understood these overlay communities were set up for. Going back to the days when houses would disappear on a Friday, and there'd be a fourplex and a 16plex or somewhere else that didn't belong in that neighborhood. So not that me being the guy makes a difference on what you decide, but I'm going with the concept of bringing that housing back to what it was. And, you know, again, I, I get what you guys are doing, but one house, why doesn't one house preserve that? It'll fit the neighborhood. It should fit everything the overlay zone asks for, assuming the, all the little pieces and parts are then filled out that fit, fit what you, you guys want to see in that, and then everybody's happy. So um, I'm not happy about the two, two houses. Everything else, no issues. Two houses, I've got a huge issue with that. Um, and I mentioned it to somebody when, the, when I left this meeting after the city hall meeting. Um, and they said it would be a challenge. But, you know, this is being presented as absolutes. And I don't, I, don't, I don't see it that way. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Should I sign in? Yeah, that'd be great. It's for our minute takers. Other commission conversation? Yeah, so option two, um, to me, if you were just to look at the structures, it kind of looks like part of the old neighborhood. Um, I'm thinking about my own house that has a garage in the back. It is a little shed. I use it as a garage. It's something that's detached and back there. If you were just to, just to look at that overview, it looks like something you would see in an old neighborhood. And I guess... My understanding, too, of the neighborhood is that we do kind of share spaces. Um, I'm thinking right now about a young professional. I live in the north side neighborhood. He's been renting part of a home, and the big property management has decided they want to rent out the whole house but still keep it diced up, but they want to rent it out to one group of people. So now he's finding that well, gosh, do I buy a big house just for me? He's a young professional. 
Um, I like the option of option two that that maybe would speak to a young professional. Um, I am curious to hear what others think about if you were just to look at these two, does it look like something you'd see in a historic neighborhood? Like if you, I don't know if that back area in option two is going to look like a garage or will it look like a house? <laughs> I mean, it's gonna sense. have to fit our okay. guidelines, right? And I don't know what our guidelines are on an ADU that's not a garage. Do we have any? No. Okay. Well, both, both options utilize the alleyway, apparently. Mm -hmm. So is it a usable alleyway or is it, I don't know. It's not the best alley in the world. I mean, I can I don't drive down it. You live on it. <laughs> um, you know, and I, I'm, I'm thrilled to have somebody who lives there. You're going to be affected on a daily basis what goes on this property. And I think that's important to take into consideration with whatever we're talking about. Um, because too many, I think we've all probably been in a situation where we're like, hey, this is directly affecting me, yet other people are making that decision. So I want to hear what you have to say. And I, thanks for coming. Um, I agree, like given these two options, I prefer option two because it's less than option one. I, I agree that I just don't think that, I think option one is just trying to get in as much as you can. And option two, is I just feel is a better option, but is the option of one structure a possibility or is it, or no, I think that's the question we have to ask. I mean, I think most of us, if you're looking at a historic neighborhood, would love to see one house on the property, but I've been, you know, just in the, over the years, I've heard, oh, that's a big lot though, and an accessory dwelling, you know, because we're trying to get more, you know, infill in the neighborhood kind of thing. So, um, sure, uh, but is one house an option too that would totally fit with the neighborhood? Maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I have no concern with the split lot. I, I mean, this is what historically happened for generations. I mean, you know, the in, in, particularly in our neighborhood where you'd have these 80-foot lots that people would initially build just on one half of, knowing that they may sell the other half later. It's literally what happened on, on my lot, you know, in, in 19... They bought the lot in 1896 and sold it to, you know, built on half and sold the other half in 1919 or whatever. Um, so, and, you know, we get more density that way. Um, I, I don't think that it will, it, I think it will feel like the, the, the scale of the neighborhood. That, that doesn't concern me. I, I'm more concerned about the, not the ADU in itself, uh, although I am a little bit concerned that we don't have guidelines to help us on that. Um, but I am concerned about what the ADU does if we, if it's, unless it's a very narrowly crafted uh, piece. I, I don't love the non-detached, you know, the, the, our, our guidelines don't recommend an attached garage, but I feel like the below grade piece, I think, mm -hmm. makes that, um, you know, if you're standing, if you're walking on the street, you won't see it and feel it in the way that you might in, in other things. I think it, the lot allows for that in a way that it, it doesn't in other places. I was going to say, as we looked at these two options, um, from a historic neighborhood standpoint, I like option one better because it doesn't have the curb cuts and it doesn't have driveway, right? You don't have the garage right up front and the car's pulling out um, onto Runout Street. Um, 
when I look at option one, what I like better about option two is it preserves the lot size, which I think is a decent thing, right? I'm looking at my own map here and the lots that are, yes, a lot of them do get split down into 40 foot lots, but in that area in particular, right, the ones directly across the street are not split into 40 foot lots, right? Those are still 80 foot lots. I came in late and that's my own fault. So I don't know if there was discussion about one dwelling with a garage in the back. And so I don't know if that was considered there hasn't been. Not. It's presented as option one and two is all we've okay. seen. But I think I think there are others, including the, the member of the public here, that right. would like to see that. Yeah. I mean, the, my understanding of the way the the the, or, the organization's mission was presented was efficiency with space and resources, getting as much as you can to provide housing to people. And I'm assuming that's why option three was not immediately raised because now you're back to one house on a lot with a garage taking a lot of space. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that there's just a fundamental mismatch between that approach to building and your mission as you see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if um, you'll recall the, the city council discussions when this was acquired, you know, part of the thinking was to increase density. Um, there was a lot of talk of missing middle housing that, um, you know, a way to sensitively to the neighborhood uh, increase the density of that lot was one of the goals. Obviously, we're trying to serve as many families as we can as well. Um, we have a lot of two and three bedroom homes. Um, we're lacking in the um, one bedroom efficiency, we're lacking in larger homes. Uh, right now, the, um, by and large, the families that we're unable to serve for lack of inventory are looking for four plus bedrooms. Um, so that was part of the thinking as well. Um, it also has the benefit of getting two construction cycles out of it, having uh, two different homes built. So you'll have two years of students that are able to um, get some experience in that way. So that was a uh, part of the thinking as well that it helps uh, aid in that program. Uh, and then just the funding, you know, the more efficient we can be with building units, you know, acquiring a lot on the north side for us isn't uh, a possibility in um, normal times. Times. You know, it, unless the city is, comes to us and wants to work with us and, um, you know, is willing to provide some of that funding, that's the only thing that makes this neighborhood possible for us. And it's really important for us to be um, integrated into neighborhoods and be as um, scattered throughout the community as we can be. Um, and so that was our thinking to try and get more units on there. Um, when we go to the state, um, get a lot of federal dollars that are administered by the city. Um, yeah, the more, the farther we can stretch those dollars, the better it is both for the clients that we serve and for our organization financially. So that was the thinking there. Did, so there's already a curb cut there? That's the existing curb cut and in option one, the pad toward the back, and I guess it's not all the way on the alley, um, but that larger pad is roughly where the existing pad is. There was a garage there that has since been demolished. Um, so that's roughly that footprint that is in existence. Here's the 2003 aerial that curb cut was added in 2011. There's oh, gotcha. no historic review of that at all but was that that was that we, so here's we, the we lot. made it non-contributing in 2016 right 
Correct. Okay. So the, it had a house and a long garage built in the 70s. And that came down first. And then the house came down more recently. And the curb cut originally went all the way to the back of the lot. And just for both, I think, the public and all our understandings, in a normal scenario, if there is a we have to approve a demolition and we have to approve what's going in place ahead of time because there was a, um, a safe health and safety issue. The building came down without our review, which is why we're, we're reviewing what's coming next after. Normally, we would review before demolition. So just kind of reminding folks of that process and why we're in a different <clears throat> spot now. Other comments? I don't know if we, I feel like we've given you a lot mm -hmm. of ranges of thoughts here, uh, <laughs> of feedback. Um, yeah, and I, I will certainly, uh, hopefully, discuss some things afterwards, because um, I, I just wanted to clarify kind of three things. Um, my understanding of all of our zoning and guidelines as, you're, as you are weighing this as a commission is, really the only thing that isn't allowed right now is the ADU. So everything else proposed here is, and to Jessica's point, the alternate to the ADU, if we don't do that, we can put a big old garage there, and that would meet all the guidelines. Um, certainly that's not what our client wants, but that's kind of everything else is normal zoning, no variances, no papal blessing, no special dispensation. So um, the what we're hoping for and i don't know that we can arrive at this today is i was hoping for your december meeting we could take one of these options refine it get some input and then show you a little bit more defined concept of hey this is what a proposed elevation would look like those types of things i'm not sure where we're at now to be honest with you because we did get a lot of input um and i i'm certainly looking for suggestions from you and from staff on that because we certainly would like to. Uh, GT, I want to be. I want to make sure that we are getting input. I appreciate that. Yeah. I also make sure that we're not, like you know, we have a normal process right. too. And so I want. I, I feel like the site layout and some of that and makes sense. And maybe if there's more feedback, once you kind of start playing with that, it's fine. I just make sure we don't incrementally talk where we where we should just have a, a review process. Well, that's point. what I'm wondering. Is it would it be more helpful to just take our preference as an option? And develop a little bit more so everybody's not speaking in hypotheticals would that be helpful with with the commissioners if you just took one of these options and kind of run with it a little bit and see which one you think well i mean that that's what would normally happen you we wouldn't come seek input before we these are right. the rules we do it here's what we're proposing yeah right i mean yeah you're but you're not proposing you'd have a Exactly. Proposed exactly. on December. Yeah. You just give us yeah. a little more feedback. Yep. And a second opportunity for feedback with yeah. one of these. And then take that input as well. And then eventually we won't hear from you for a little bit while you're exactly. putting together the thing. And then we'll get a staff report and all the other stuff. Well, that, I mean, does that seem like that's maybe a little bit more useful for everyone? It seems like so much hinges on the ADU. I think I'd be most interested in knowing could that get approved and can it get approved without causing some of the problems that um right <laughs> setting the precedent or a problematic precedent so maybe in more information on that and i don't know how we get that exactly but it seems like that would be super useful to have is there can i ask ann a question is there a way that this could be crafted 
so that it is an exception to ADUs are owner occupied and for uh, affordable housing overlay or something. I don't I don't even know what that is. I'm not an expert on that. Yeah, I I guess we are actually working on um, a potential text amendment for to address kind of affordable housing issues citywide. And one thing that we're looking at is our ADU regulations. So this is something that is kind of already in the works, very early stages. Um, um, But something, I mean, I think something that we're considering at the staff level is, you know, do we want to explore what it would be like if we got rid of that ownership requirement entirely? And and that would address their concerns. Um, And I think it would bring a whole bunch of other... Yes, and I, I think Not, you're right. I think there could be a lot of concerns from the neighborhood, so that would require a, probably a much larger outreach process. Um, another option would be to amend the code to say um, a rental option is okay when it's managed by a nonprofit affordable housing developer or something like that. Um, so that's something that we could look at. So it would be only limited basically for the housing fellowship or any other um, that would yeah, that has housing. an accessory dwelling unit. So that's just what came to mind as you guys were discussing yeah. that. Um, so we can we can look into it more and. If that, I think if that is an option, I think that's to me a far better option for the ADU in general. Although I feel like I don't quite, I can't quite visualize what, how an ADU that's not part of a garage fits the guidelines like I just can't I'm not saying it can't be done I'm just having a hard time conceptualizing how that might work I I think that's the other issue with our ADU requirements too not the historic preservation guidelines but just zoning zoning wouldn't allow a standalone ADU so that's something that we're also looking at um, trying to be more flexible so we can get um, more accessory dwelling units more variety of housing types smaller units more affordable units We've been allowing accessory dwelling units for years in all of our single-family zones, but we do not have that many. And what we're hearing is because our regulations are too stringent. Are you hearing that from property? Yeah. And we get calls all the time. Can can I put an accessory dwelling unit in here? And then we'll say, well, you need to put in a parking space, and it can't be standalone, and it needs to be attached to something. Um, and it's uh, it's it makes it harder for them to get built. Are you hearing that from single-family property owners, or are you hearing that from people who are... Single-family property owners, oh, yeah. mainly, yeah. 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 So. so that w- this would, the ADU would require a text amendment um, <clears throat> to the zoning code. And when would that likely happen? It would, t- it would take several months, but I think we could coordinate with their timeline and see if there's something that we could work out that um, I mean it's something that we're already looking into but I I hear your concern Kevin like a major change um, might not be something that we could get past so it might need to be something more targeted yeah several folks have talked again so you're you're welcome Nope, you got to, but you got to come up to the mic and talk in for our minute takers. But just to address that, I'm a little confused. If you're going to let the ADU do it, and it ends up in certain neighborhoods, what's the difference? Why can't I do it then? And everybody you can. Else? You're a, 
Well, if I'm an owner, but I, if I'm a renter, if, no, 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 if I just own a rental, if I walk out of my house and I preserve my rental status, right, because I'm grandfathered, and I say, I want to do it too, well, what's the, what's the difference? Do you see what I'm saying? It's just because I put another rental in and some other people rent from me, we got no offense, but what's the difference between saying, oh, well, we like this group better, but we want to promote it or something, but what's the difference if you are going to carve out this one lot to allow that versus every other lot and every other rental owner who just wants to put another rental up? I guess I'm missing that. What makes this so different? I'll tell you my opinion. I'm not speaking for the commission. Sure, sure, absolutely. We, our neighborhood is fi filled with, we have many absentee landlords and many people who milk their property. They don't reinvest. They don't take care of their tenants. They don't take care of their neighborhoods. And, and, they are, and to give them more opportunities to make money and to give without providing to, for their neighborhood, for their neighbors, for their tenants, or for the community, is a, I find very problematic. And so I think to me, the, the approach, again, with if you're providing it a single family home, you're, you're, you have to live with that tenant. You have to be there and you have to make sure it's maintained and you're, you're, you're a good landlord. If you, not you, the, the royal you, I guess. Uh, for me, the difference is having someone who is a, a, a proven landlord, small landlords, versus a handful of companies in our town who own almost whole swaths of property. And, and that to me is a fundamental difference. Um, of what, what can and should be allowed. But that's my opinion. I'm not speaking again for the commission or the city or anyone else. You asked a question, I'm giving you some context because I of my own uh, opinion. I appreciate that. And it's very valid. But all I'm saying is if you try to start spot zoning this place, anybody could come in there and say, again, what's, why the special treatment? And that's where there's going to be all the trouble because we're all landowners and we all get to kind of do the same thing. That's what we have zoning and and we have um, your commission. Um, and to be able to sort of puck, uh, pick and pluck these things out sort of defeats the purpose. And that's where I'm saying. And not just for me, for anybody who tries to do this when, when the neighbors or someone comes in and says, well, you know, you need to prove why this, why is this a hardship for them and not everybody else? And that's what it normally would come down to. And I don't see the hardship. Again, I'm I don't, I don't want to repeat myself. You guys heard me, and I appreciate it. But again, there's no option three. There's only option one, two. So thank you. And I, I'm done. Thanks. <laughs> what, one last clarification on my part was that option one doesn't require any special permissions of anything. Is that correct? No. The, okay. the, the, it's zoned, uh, this is from Ann's memo, but it's zoned RS8. And in an RS8, a lot of the size can be divided in, in half. Yeah, I mean, I guess I feel like we've, we're, as a, I don't think there's any consensus, like commission consensus here um, for your feedback. I, 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 I think you've heard our concerns about the ADU uh, and what it, what it could open. Uh, again, I, I think, uh, so I think maybe uh, December with a little more detail, and then I think we should at some point once that's done, get to a place where we're just going to review the, the thing as opposed to like talking about it before we get like a formal review process. Does that sound like you guys are nodding your heads? Mm -hmm. Does that seem reasonable to us as the commission mm -hmm. as next steps? And Jessica, do you guys have anything to add? <laughs> Would you? No, okay. Um, okay. Uh, okay, I think those are good next steps. 
if there's any other follow-up or anything, December or whatever timeline is great. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. We're going to move on to item F here. Nope, I lied. Back to item D. Um, no, if you wouldn't, uh, this is uh, just for the public and everyone's reference, if anyone's watching, this, one of our commissioners, it, this is his property. He needs to recuse himself uh, and step down or in another room, I think, is what Jessica remind us what the rules are. At least you would step down. Our, our new suggestion is actually to leave the room. We would have you step into the antechamber, but it's locked. So you'd be <laughs> Sounds scary. stepping out there. It's a nice little conference room. <laughs> Do but I you formally recuse myself? Yes. Stork recuses himself from the review of certif certificate of appropriateness. Keep going. Nope, you're good. Okay. Great. Okay. I'm sorry, wait. Okay. Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, 529 East College is in the College Street, uh, College Green Historic District. Um, as we can see here, uh, we have College Green Park, and it is on the corner property here across the street. Uh, this is the north or front elevation of the house. Um, as I talk about in the staff report, it's really kind of a combination of, of maybe an early four square. Uh, we have this big hipped roof kind of square structure, but there's also some Queen Anne elements to it. Uh, the projecting gable, uh, and this is a canted bay. Um, some of the siding treatment also comes from the Queen Anne because they have this desire to not have plain areas of wall. That's why you have like the fish scale shingles. Um, this is a flared belt course right here, a change in the uh, treatment. Some of this kind of stuff happens on a lot of four squares in town. Um, this does have some uh, colonial revival or classical details, um, like the oculus window. Uh, the columns are uh, kind of classical columns and stuff. Uh, this is the side view, so this is along um, Johnson Street. Um, you can see a good image of that bay, uh, rear uh, kind of porch here. There's a little bit of a deck around side. And as you can see, it has a standing seam metal roof. This was the old turn-style uh, metal roof. There's a few ornaments there. Um, and so the application is um, to... Uh, replace the the metal roof it also includes removing the chimney and uh, removing the remaining uh, built-in gutters so first of all typically with an application we do get evidence of deterioration and then with the metal roof we do talk to them about um, you know the contractors they've talked to and and I have talked to the applicant on the phone but there was no no backup documentation submitted with the application um, so we can obviously see that there is some deterioration here in this cornice return um, obviously the water's gotten in there the soffit has pulled away uh, this area Prior to 2012, and I'm using Google Street View basically to tell me the dates, um, this external gutter was 
added. And uh, all of the trim remains under here, but at least from what we can tell at this corner. Um, the internal gutter itself was bridged likely by this, this metal at this point so that the water no longer went into it but went to the external gutter instead. I don't know how they dealt with the uh, cornice return, so there could have just been a fundamental issue going on with how they bridged that internal gutter that caused this uh, problem over here. They have bridged some of the cornice return in an odd way here where they cover some of the trim and stuff. So obviously there's at least some deterioration along here. We have a little bit of deterioration on the roof edge as well. Um, this is on the west side, so the projecting gable between the two houses. And here you can see where they bridged over things. It you know, is obviously pulling away and deteriorated. This is also an area where you can see that, um, so when they removed the internal gutter and hung the external gutter on the west side, they actually removed the crown molding. So this crown molding would have just continued along um, like this, gone around the corner. Um, I'm not sure exactly what happens right here on the house, but it's the um, northwest corner anyway. Um, so we can see uh, here in this photo um, how that uh, internal gutter is bridged. We can see that the internal gutter is still in use here. The downspout comes out from um, the soffit area. Um, this is the 2012 photo. So here we can see where the external gutter was already installed. And here the internal gutter was still in use. So instead of having a piece of metal that bridges there, we actually have a little drop off into the gutter where the, the water would go. Um, and then here is uh, the recent photo that shows how that had been changed, probably 2015, maybe a little bit earlier. Um, and the trim was removed in this location. So currently, there is only one location on the house itself where the uh, internal gutter is still used, um, and that is around the um, southwest corner. It's also in use on the front porch. In this view, which is the south view, so next to the, the house on Johnson Street, you can also kind of barely see the chimney. Um, we can tell that it is a stucco-coated chimney. It uh, looks from this view like there might be um, some deterioration of that um, stucco because we can see some of the brick through. Here we can see it a little bit more. Um, but generally, it's pretty hard to see the chimney. Now, this is another one where I, I, I can see slight amount of deterioration, but I cannot see the rest of the deterioration for this chimney but it's also not very visible. On the front porch, uh, I'm not seeing any of the kind of deterioration that we would normally see for a heavily compromised internal gutter on a front porch. We do have a little bit of deterioration here on the metal roof edge that's allowed some water to get in, um, and this is something that can be repaired. Um, but really, we don't see a lot of the other problems with the soffit or other issues like that. Um, so this project review includes um, several things that I listed in the staff report. Um, let me see here. The conditions include the fact that 
the commission could approve removing this chimney and the fact that it's not really visible. So it would not be considered an architecturally significant ch chimney. Typically, we would still require evidence of its deterioration and the inability to repair it. It would definitely be a requirement that the chimney is not being used. A chimney could not be taken down and then just bare metal venting coming out through the roof instead. That's not something that would be approved. For some chimneys that have been heavily deteriorated and are visible, we've even approved rebuilding them just in um, basically wood frame and thin bricks installed to look like a chimney. Um, this is not the kind of chimney that we would typically um, recommend that just because it's not visible. Um, in order to um, approve the replacement of the porch roof, we would want to see evidence of deterioration. We can see some of that deterioration in the main roof of the house, like at those um, cornice returns that I showed you, but we just aren't seeing the kind of deterioration that we would uh, want to see, and so if a roofer has looked at it or um, there's photographs or something, that we would want that kind of documentation included for the approval. Um, and then the other recommended motion is that the internal gutters are actually retained on the porch itself and repaired. And just when you, when you say that we need evidence, if we, if we pass the motion as staff recommended, the applicant would just or the contractor would just provide it to you, and you would. It's not. Yeah. It's not going to come back to us. It won't delay the project. Correct. It just is. Uh, we just need. Our guidelines require the evidence. Yeah, uh, our guidelines are written so that if we are removing anything that's a historic material on a house, it needs to be um, documented that it's deteriorated. It needs to be removed. Um, if it's something that is going to be removed and not replaced in kind, then, uh, you know, we have guidelines that also talk about that, whether it's something that's um, maybe it's exorbitantly expensive or not possible to do. Metal roofs can sometimes fall into that realm. I know that uh, there is an option to replace this roof with almost similar t type of roof, but it, it is hundreds of thousands of dollars to do that because it would be a, a stainless steel lead-coated roof or a copper lead-coated roof. There are also other options for a standing seam metal roof that are just steel and are uh, significantly less expensive. This is a big house, though, so I don't have numbers that would um, really provide an estimate. A, a roofer would have to, to provide that. Any, this, this is time for just a reminder of order events here. We'll do any kind of clarifying questions like I just had for Jessica just about process or something she said. We'll ask um, the, any, the applicant to speak if they want, any members of the public, which I don't see, but if they arrive, they're welcome to then. And then we'll get a motion on the floor and, and discuss and then vote. So mm -hmm. any quick clarifying questions for Jessica just about the staff report or the presentation? 
And I want to say I did forget to put the motion in the I, I printed this one, so, so I'm sorry. I can hand it off to somebody when they're ready <laughs> I have ready been for trying it. to remember to do that, and I did forget what this you. was. You're in charge of the motion when the time comes. I have a yes. clarifying question. Yep, Is the removal of the internal gutters on the entire house or just the porch? Sorry. The application, they, they would like approval for the entire house. Okay. The house right now really only has a small portion in existence. The porch... Um, is the one that staff recommends not removing the internal gutter. Okay. <clears throat> we don't need to say anything about that. All right. Any, sorry, the quick clarifying? Oh, I'm just curious. The idea, too, is to go to shingles. Yes. Okay. The metal roof would be replaced with asphalt shingles. Okay. In a, uh, you know, vaguely wood color. And do we know, maybe this is not the time for this question, is there any way to somehow patch the areas that are showing somewhere it is likely not possible um the the situation on the porch roof is different because there's a traditional repair of using a membrane roofing that can be used on the entire roof and and they would actually use a separate piece in the gutter but it could all be cohesive this porch roof slopes just a little bit more than many of them. So it might be possible to use an asphalt shingle. Um, I've already mentioned the fact that they should verify with their contractor they actually have enough slope to use an asphalt shingle on this porch roof. But typically, um, the, the flat metal, it can be replicated in this expensive new modern metal, uh, but we typically approve just a black membrane roof for a porch like this, and that can be used to repair the internal gutter as well. Great. All right. We'll invite, I understand you're the applicant. You're welcome to speak. You're not required to, but now, if you'd like to, now is the time. <laughs> and do sign in if you speak. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, we, well, we had two, we've had, we have multiple leaks coming in like water dripping through in multiple rooms so it's stressful um so we had a, a couple roofers look at it we wanted to keep a metal roof but essentially um the bids were astronomically crazy like one was over two hundred thousand, and then the other is about a hundred thousand but that was for an option that aesthetically apparently wasn't um, fitting it had the ridges so then he said well we would have to add a lot more to make to make it work so finally we kind of gave in and decided to go with the shingles um, with discussion of the roof we didn't really single out the porch there's definitely some water damage on the ceiling of the porch um, there's like beadboard that's kind of buckling and falling down that we've just kind of tried to stick back up. So there's clearly some water damage coming through, but I don't think we talked about is that repairable versus the main roof. I think we were just like, the roof needs to be replaced. So I think we could have a discussion with the roofer. Can we uh, salvage the metal on the, on the porch and just patch it? I would be very happy with that. And keeping the internal gutters, I'd be happy with that. Um, the reason they, both the roofers recommended taking the chimney down. They said that was a source of one of the leaks. And um, 
it was checked in that it's not functioning, so they better verify that before they take it down, I would hope. So, you know, um, so they just recommended taking it down so that it wasn't an issue again in the future. And um, I think the ma that's the main thing. We were hoping that we could just patch it. I had this idea that steel roofs were forever and ever. So I was like, let's just get it patched. But I guess because it's a few areas and um, I don't know all the, we asked our roofer to come tonight and he said he was gonna be here, but he's not here. <laughs> so, um, but both of them said, no, it just needs to be, it needs to be replaced. So that's unfortunate, but I guess with the patching, I think it's just because it's really hard to get up there. They and it's hard to locate the specific spots or because there's so many or and they have to rent special machinery that no one really was like let's patch it in the meantime they're like we need you need to replace the roof so that was kind of the feedback that we got and i apologize for not sending in more evidence i was just behind the, the ball behind the ball so good i think we'll just the way that we'll read it is that once you do we can it gives us flexibility to do that as as you're ready to move on so other any questions for the applicant well well so you are experiencing leaks like within the house it's not just areas around the edges it's yes okay. there's three areas one is in the front of the house right above that window on the right hand side it's literally just like like i'm sure there's like a bucket full of water from tonight and then there's a few that kind of originate around the chimney back of the house that are coming in one in the attic one in the bathroom on the second floor so and I think that's all that I know of other questions anything okay all right yeah you just say you <laughs> the way it is move here. to and then read okay. that okay uh, Reynolds moves to approve a certificate of appropriateness for the project at 529 East College Street as presented in the application with the following conditions if the chimney is still in use it is retained and repaired evidence of deterioration and the inability to repair the porch and roof is provided and the internal gutters on the porch remain and are repaired as needed you have a second you know we have a second all right can discuss it's gorgeous <laughs> the way it is now so it's hard for me I think the applicant expressed that too that it's a it's a gorgeous roof with the you've got ornamentation there too um, it's too bad <laughs> the original roof we think was wood shingles right mm -hmm. we know that it was but we wood know because of the sandboard maps yeah the uh, metal was put on between 1926 and 1933 which is actually a little late okay what uh what about the ornamentation on the roof was that so that would have been added with the metal roof it wouldn't have been a part of like lightning rods or anything a part of the original roof no it would have been added with okay. this having lived in old houses with internal gutters there's reasons they don't do internal gutters anymore <laughs> They can be a problem, but they can be repaired with EPDM. They, I've seen it done at my house. Um, and as far as the porch roof goes, um, 
If you want to discuss patching, we did that ourselves at our house with the porch roof with internal gutters, and it seems fine. It wasn't terrible, so I can show you pictures or whatever. I'm comfortable with the motion as is. Um, I think we just need, if there are needs to do it because of curation, that's great. I think mm -hmm. we generally want to, I think there's opportunities to not do that if it's not beyond repair. Other discussion? Otherwise, we're ready for a vote. Mm -hmm. All right. All in favor of the motion, say aye. 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 Any opposed? All right. The motion carries. Thank you. All right, now we're on to item F, report on certificates issued by Stafford Chair. And we've got two months of these, guys, because we didn't do them last month. Oh. Um, so let's roll. Yeah, I did. I had to remember what was going on with them, actually. It was kind of funny. Uh, so this is one that came to you, or no, it, it, it got um, the wall rebuilt recently, and um, they've replaced this uh, floor. Here's the new floor. Um, oh, and that was in the, um, that other district, <laughs> College Hill Conservation District. Sorry. Uh, 615 Governor Street. This is in the Governor Lucas Conservation District. This house is, uh, non-contributing because of the apartment building constructed on the back of it. It had, um, the, the south side of the foundation, um, fell apart because of all this concrete draining all the water directly at it. <laughs> and so it's being fixed, and I believe that not all of this concrete will be put back. Um, those were certificates of no material effect. Here we have some minor reviews. Uh, we had a small deck pad added in this area of uh, 513 Grant Street, a contributing property in the Longfellow District. Um, oh, this sign project where we approved it, asking them why they wanted to put the blade sign up here because it was unusual, and now it's back where it belongs. Mm -hmm. um, 1033 Woodlawn Avenue, um, so contributing property in the Woodlawn Historic District. The commission approved this uh, addition on the back, so this is the front that you see right here, and recently they have, um, or are going to add a solar array to that uh, one-story rear addition. Um, 326 North Johnson Street. Um, this house is going through a pretty big rehab that doesn't really impact the exterior, but they added an um, entry stoop to the back door. Uh, 225 North Governor Street here in the Goosetown Horseman Conservation District. This house was actually um, moved. We forgot to, to grab Noah. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Noah, I'm sorry. We forgot to come get you. I just. I'm sorry. We went right on. He's kept going. <laughs> I thought his wife would tell him. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Welcome back, Noah. <laughs> I'm you. not going to go back. Is no. that all right? Uh, this house was actually moved to here, which was kind of interesting. They had a deck that was on here um, that was never approved, and so they recently went through an approval process. Um, they had some old piers that they were using as well. Um, 721 Oakland Avenue. Oh, Longfellow Historic District, um, right 
here <laughs> actually is where it is. Um, this is a rear addition that was um, built on the opposite side of this gambrel roof, and it just needed some siding uh, replaced. Um, this house, um, also in the Goosetown Horseman Conservation District, has had multiple additions and uh, interesting things happen and recently had these porch steps uh, replaced. And they are putting a skylight just on the other side of this uh, roof ridge over here. Um, this house uh, recently sold to a flipper and um, they are uh, replacing this um, concrete step just because it was all broken and um, the railing will just match the one that's there but they are painting them both black that's the only thing that so far has been reviewed here um, 704 Clark Street old uh, garage in the back corner back here on Seymour Street and they are replacing the overhead door with just a flat panel door. Um, 422 Grant Street in the Longfellow Historic District here. It has a little deck in this corner on the back. Interestingly enough, it also has an original um, basement a garage. So they must have driven off the street all the way around the behind the house, like here, because the curb cuts over here. Um, that's been enclosed. But anyway, they are uh, rebuilding this deck without steps going in all directions, just one set of steps. Uh, a couple, we only had this as our intermediate review. So as you know, we did have a fire in our uh, historic district. Um, Frank and I went and saw it the day after and walked around at that point in time. And um, it is not a total loss. Um, the insurance inspector even said that the fact that it is old construction, it's constructed of wood, it doesn't have all of the chemicals and glues and preservatives, so it burned a lot slower. Uh, this house burned for a good hour and a half at least, and it would have been gone if it was new construction. Um, in fact, the you can see all this charred siding here. This faces woodlawn. The plaster is gone on the inside right there, but the studs in the back of the sheathing and everything looks just fine. Wow. <laughs> it's just kind of... Does that hold up over time, though? I mean, with a, if, uh, will it be replaced? Will it be... Yeah, so what? Um, the insurance company actually agreed to a selective demolition. Okay. So um, the entire front porch will be removed. Okay. For sure. Um, as you can see, all of this... Um, this is the siding, and then this is the sheathing. So the sheathing is fine, but they do have to remove anything that's been burned to a certain point. Um, there are ways that they have to remove the smoke. So um, all the plaster is going to be gone. Um, the floor, frankly, in this room right here looks just fine. The cur It was covered in carpet, but it was burned off and the floor looks fine wow. but it's gotten so much wetness that they will probably still have to pull it all up at least um it kind of depends the owner has decided to go through a tax credit project which means that the state will kind of control how the interior is put back um 
She is quite a, a preservationist, so she's interested in that. The project will come to you um, because we did kind of this emergency demolition just for the porch, maybe that front facade, the, you know, the stuff that we know about. But the rest of the demolition, if there's any exterior um, any exterior changes will come to you. And we do think that the roof will be replaced here. This roof is the stainless steel lead-coated roof. It was very, very expensive. But um, there are concerns, uh, the owner's concerned about it. So um, it might be one of those that's approved to replace. So we've also been working, we know um, previous owners of this house, we know previous tenants of this house, there's been a, a big project that was reviewed at one point in time. So we're looking for photos, and this just shows we had a previous tenant, and they happened to have a photo of the staircase. Um, I toured it with the tax credit historian, though, and I can tell you that we both look, walked in, looked at the staircase, and knew that that's what that newel post would look like. I mean, it was just one of those things. The house had everything um, in it. I, don't, I didn't include a lot more photos, but we fully documented the interior as it is. All of the blown-in insulation in the uh, attic is now sopping wet on the second-floor floor, and we had to walk all over it you know, to take pictures and stuff. So there will be significant cleaning out of, of just the, the mess. And uh, they did kind of like a photographic scan of the interior as it was. And then they'll do that again once it's cleaned out. And that will give them a better idea of, of what to replace and stuff like that. But it um, should come back. Um, when Frank and I were there, we, I mean, there, there was a piece of trim laying on the ground with its nail from the 1870s just sticking right out of it. It was not a wire nail. It was a tapered square nail. So um, there's a lot of, of history in this house. Hopefully it'll be able to be retained and with a tax credit project. Um, yeah, hopefully that'll happen. Do we, do, do we know the cause? Is that relevant? There, it was undetermined from the fire marshal, so um, no specific. I think frequently when there's something undetermined, people assume it might be electrical. I don't know. It definitely um, burned in, yeah, in this area. This whole front area is. Chimney looks good. Yeah, and the, <laughs> frankly, it is kind of amazing. Um, you know, we have like this mark. The bay on the east side, it's like black and green, just a stripe right down the whole side. On the interior, um, some of these, uh, some of the weird things that we've seen are, are the fact that the trim it looks all burned, but it's actually the paint, <laughs> and the trim behind it looks okay. But they would have to plane it down again in order to get rid of the smoke smell. The smoke and soot is what will cause a lot of the demolition on the interior to happen. All right. Item G, consideration of the minutes from the October 13th meeting. Anybody have any amendments or anything? If not, entertain a motion to approve. Uh, seller can approve. Back seconds. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? All right. We approve the minutes. Item H, commission discussion, historic preservation awards. We did not do this at our last meeting. Um... 
So, yeah, I mean, the awards went well. Yay! <laughs> great! You know, we could have a little bit more attendance, but they went really well. I thought it was great. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Channel 4 made a video, and if the web is working, I mean, I'm hoping, then it'll play, yeah. My name is John Engelbrecht. I'm Executive Director of Public Space One. We are a contemporary artist-led arts organization. We've been a venue for people to go public with their creative service to the community. Public Space One, in a lot of ways, is an idea of community. And in that way, we've often been very responsive to whatever spaces we could inhabit. And, and there's never been a, a deficit of ideas for ways we could program various spaces. In our time in Iowa City, we've been in church basements, we've been above bars, we've been in university buildings. So we started looking at um, spaces where we could invest in the organization in the long run. Public Space One came into possession of the two North Gilbert houses before the pandemic, and you know they got a little taste of what it is to work on historic properties. Uh, with those houses, but then when the opportunity came for them to acquire the close house, you know, it just sort of took things to a completely different level. With Public Space One having these three historic properties, we are really excited about the visibility they'll have in the community and also the opportunity that these spaces afford to make people look at historic properties in a new way. The upgrades that we've made to our spaces have improved the quality of life for both the building in terms of its, its being able to weather the elements and be kind of economic in terms of heating and cooling, but the care we show to the building also extends to our community, the community of artists who use those spaces and people who walk by and can see that, that care kind of extending out. And of course we want to respect the history of the building and the you know, importance of that to the city of Iowa City and the community and the neighborhood. Um, at the same time, we want to make it functional as a public art space and make it inclusive and accessible. It's not always necessarily about just making everything exactly like it was in the past, but how do you take these historic properties and keeping them up, keeping them well-maintained, still show them in a light that is very vibrant to the community, that gets people in the door to experience them. We're a collaborative organization. That can be a really social thing, but now with these buildings, it also feels like a physical thing. Like we're collaborating with history. We're collaborating with what the spaces already have to offer. You know, none of the projects that have been done on any of the houses could have ever gotten done if we didn't have just an incredible base of volunteers helping out. Everything from hanging drywall to painting to some carpentry work, people are coming in and participating on a lot of different levels. The ethos that PS1 has had has been to see what's available around you, who's around you, what are the ways that you can um, pick up what's right here and make more of it or make it meaningful, make connections with it. And, so being in the his historic buildings has actually felt like another layer of that experience. 
It's been an exciting project. It's been a very large project. We're still just at the beginning of it. And I'm also very much aware that this stewardship that we have is, is not something that's just a one or two year thing. This is, we're, we're taking a structure that is gonna be 150 years old and proposing a use for it for the next 20 years, the next 30 years. For us, this historic preservation is both a constraint and also a prompt for how we make these resilient places for the long term. I thought the awards were great. I appreciate everyone's work. It was really a collaborative effort, I think, in the, more so than even mm-hmm. years past. So I appreciate everyone's work on that. A couple of you saw me. I came in very grumpy and left. You like, did. Sorry. <laughs> I'd had a rough day and was just like, get me the out of here. That. But I left very, it was just, it was a. Uh, hey, you were very calm at the end. Yeah. yeah. You great. said, I'm going to give my intro and leave. Yeah. Don't be surprised if I leave. <laughs> and you didn't. You stayed I didn't. the I didn't. entire I'm glad time. I did because it was a wonderful evening. So I appreciate that, everyone. That's how but we I, know. But I do think that I, I really like the blending of like in person. And I think these videos offer yes. some opportunity to. Even if we're not awarding, we can something we can highlight things, and I think okay. mm-hmm. um, is a really cool tool for us to use. I got my video idea for next year. <laughs> I think that Channel Four enjoyed making that one too. Yeah, I, yeah. We could do we could do one at the beginning and one at the. I mean, there's I think opportunities for us to mm-hmm. to use them and think about them. So anyway, I don't know if other folks had comments about it. Thoughts? I think it's on Channel Four. Sometime, if you want to. Yeah, you know, um, actually, this this link. So it's u two dot be hyphen seventy two u. Maybe you could just email us yeah. that. <laughs> I, I actually have emailed it at one point. In oh, time. okay, okay, great, awesome. I think. Okay. I, I was pretty sure that once I got it, I emailed it to you guys. Um, all right. Any other quick discussion on the historic preservation awards related? If not, I'll take a motion to adjourn. Brown, so moved. Thoman seconds. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? We are adjourned. Next meeting is December 8th.